What's up, ladies and gentlemen? You are listening to MMA Daily, the station where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. This week's episode, The Future of the Crown. Of course, that implies <laughs> that we're going to be talking a lot about what could be next in the title picture for several divisions of the UFC. It is Friday, July 27th. I'm Gabriel. And to tell you about what's going on, I am here with the lovely Miss Kayla Beatty. Hey, G. Hey, MMA fans. Happy Friday. Kayla, why don't you tell us what is on today's agenda for MMA Daily? Well, this week was packed full of content and news, so it's only appropriate that we have a show packed as well. We will, we have a lot to go over. So we're going to recap the main event of UFC Hamburg, Mauricio Shogun Rua versus Anthony Smith, a quick fight to discuss. Then we're going to get into MMA news. We have some drama that happened, G. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about Vulcan Ozdemir, how he had to pull out of his fight due to injury. And then the... What's the word to describe this? I guess just the outcome that came after that news of Alexander Gustafsson having some um, opponents that were looking to face him and him putting things on hold as well. Lots to talk about there. We have some other drama going on. As soon as Colby Covington gets that interim belt to face Tyron Woodley, the champ, and see the champ back, he unfortunately um, has let us know that he's uh, going to have to pull out due to injury. So there, some drama there. Will we get the fight against Colby Covington? Will we get it with the other contender, Darren Till? And then we have some good news. I know this is probably going to be your favorite segment to talk about, G. Anderson Silva has resolved things uh, with his USADA case. So he will be returning. We're going to discuss that. A very popular fighter who fought... Um, with the Tuesday Night Contender Series, uh, the UFC's Tuesday Night Contender Series, Nick Newell. He had an anticipated fight to see if he'd get this contract with the UFC, and we're going to discuss his fight, the aftermath of what happened there. And then, of course, we have to finish the show, like always, discussing the fights that are happening this weekend, this Saturday. UFC Calgary, we have three former champions on the card. So we'll discuss those top three fights. G, why don't you get us started? Right. Well, fans, as always, today's episode is powered by cagesidepress.com. Remember, for the latest in the world of the UFC, Bellator, Invicta, and the MMA world in general, check out cagesidepress.com. Kayla, okay, so... Let's get right into the fight, of course. Shogun Hua versus Anthony Smith. I know Shogun is your favorite fighter ever to be introduced by Bruce Buffer. (laughs) So I know that it must have been a little bittersweet. Um, Short fight. So we're obviously going to get right into a lot of the just what happens next. But to break it down real quick, what impressed me the most was Anthony Smith, considering he was a short notice replacement, He looked in great shape. He looked very dialed in. And what I was most impressed by is I think he was a guy who didn't really blow up between fights. I I always say that there's a time when it's going to be more likely that a guy 
isn't going to win a short notice fight. And that's when they fought recently because you're not thinking about staying in shape. You're ready to take a little break, eat some more, maybe not hit as many sessions at the gym. And he really just looked in tremendous condition. Shogun, if I'm being honest, I feel like he really looked his age and experience in there. It was a quick fight. Anthony Smith was just all systems go. Every shot he threw just seemed to really damage and affect Shogun. And the finish with the elbow was just brutal. So credit to Anthony Smith for showing up. Just very well prepared, very dialed in, like I said. But for Shogun, I feel like it was just, it was a bad look for Shogun, if I'm being honest. Without talking about the future, do you have any thoughts you want to share about the fight? Yeah, I actually love that you brought that up because I think when someone is really serious about saying they're ready for that title run to stop start facing these top contenders and get towards that title shot, like you're saying, they stay ready. They stay close to that weight. They know that there's opportunities, especially lately, of people unfortunately getting injured or politics playing and, you know, things get uh, people getting shifted around in cards. So why not stay ready if you're really serious about wanting a title shot? So I, I also noticed that. And yeah, I mean, it, like you said, I, I think a lot of these veterans, they need to realize that especially nowadays, I mean, it's always been like this, but especially now these, these younger hungry fighters, or I guess I think you said he's not even the younger one, but these, this new wave of fighters, they're going to look for that opportunity to finish you and get a highlight finish so they can keep propelling themselves. So you cannot go in there underestimating someone like an Anthony Smith. He showed up and, and found that range early, and that's all she wrote. Yeah, just very impressive. Um, Corey Anderson, too, in the main of, in the co-main event, which um, mm -hmm. we're not going to break down, but he did also look great, if I may say so. And let's say like it is, Kayla, the title picture in the last two weeks, week and a half has absolutely just, I don't know where to start with it at 205. So we're going to have a lot of similar themes, a lot of similar discussions, despite the fact that we're going to be talking about a lot of different fighters. So Kayla, I want to try to put it in as few words as possible what exactly the situation is. And there's two sides to it. There are fighters who, because of the business, anything can happen. They are pushing for the biggest fights possible, the biggest paydays possible. Because like we've seen with Max Holloway recently, anything can happen that you're just not expecting. And suddenly these big fights and everything, they're rescheduled. Sometimes they just end up never happening. People never get back to that point. So I understand there are fighters who want to hold out if they believe it's a possibility they could get these life-changing fights. It does change your pedigree, your reputation forever, even if you're just UFC champion for one fight or something similar. So I want to acknowledge that. I also want to acknowledge there's the business side of things. Take out any individual names. The UFC, just like Bellator or any other fight company, is a fight business. They put on fights. The way you sell them is by putting your biggest stars. So at the end of the day, even though fighters have this going on, UFC still has to sell these fights, and they have to do that by putting on the best fighters available. 
that has started to cause a lot of issues in the last week and a half. That is what we're going to be discussing with a lot of these situations. Let me ask you real quick, Kayla. Do you think there's anything else that needs to be said regarding those sides before we start talking about Gustafsson and Newsdemir? I just think everyone's scurrying around and can't really find their place of whether they want to be an active fighter, whether they want to try and get these super fights. But if you aren't active enough, no one's going to remember who you are. You have to stay relevant. So that's, that's my first two cents that I'll throw in. Yeah. So let's get it started with Volkan Demir and Alexander Gustafsson. Very unfortunate because you and I are obviously going to be at this fight card, but both men off UFC 227. Volkan Demir suffered a broken nose that he shared on Instagram. Alexander Gustafsson is saying it's a minor injury. He didn't disclose what it was, but said it's not going to take him out for too long. But the fact is he's off UFC 227 less than two weeks out. Um, Kayla, so this started the domino effect that by now everyone has seen. Daniel Cormier, in response to seeing Gustafsson, said, Alexander, I just don't respect what you've become. I'm not going to fight you ever again. That obviously implies that he believes Gustafsson pulled out because he thought he might be able to force a title shot now that Shogun and Glover Tashira lost. Whether or not that's true, I mean, obviously only they know, but the circumstances do look fishy if we're being honest. But Kayla, that leads to obviously, what do you do at 205 pounds? I've said that there are two options. DC went on UFC tonight and said he does intend to still defend the 205 title. That would mean so he's going to fight someone with a smaller name like an Anthony Smith or Corey Anderson or Alir Latifi. Or he just forgets about it and waits for Brock Lesnar. In which case, what do you even do with that light heavyweight title? Kayla, what, what even is going to happen at 205 right now? Yeah, well, I think that's the big problem here is it starts at the top. I think that there's people that are just frustrated that Brock Lesnar can walk out and get a title shot, um, you know, going off of name value and, and, of course, what he's done previously. But I think that that's it's starting at the top there where people are confused because they're not getting a straight answer from D.C. of what he's going to do with his other title. I, I think that – and I guess I kind of understand that side. Why are you going to – you know, um, commit to a fight until you know what's going on with the belt, especially when you're right there. So I think that that's, that's what the UFC has to announce. That's what DC has to announce, or maybe not even announce to all of us, but just be in coordinates with their top three guys, top three or five guys of this is our plan for the next year with this, this division. To me, you know, once again, I agree. Um, Look, I know they want to make the Brock fight the biggest fight possible. I'd like to say I get why they're doing the Brock Lesnar fight. When you see the numbers that they've done on pay-per-view, it's too much money on the table for them to go with another fight at this point, respectively. Now, with DC, though, I understand you want him to go into that fight next year as a double champ officially. 
but then uh, you're telling me that you're going to go essentially more than a year without defending it or you know he's just going to vacate it at the end of it and you end up just not going anywhere with the division that doesn't sit well to me so there's a bit of an impasse here i agree with you they kind of need to just say it like it is dc are you going to defend it he's talking like he's serious about it i would argue that's not a good business move let me ask you that kayla you know the fight with brock is supposed to be big is should we be saying dc if you already know you're retiring don't take another fight at 205 yeah i think he should finish with that brock fight if he's serious about retirement but i think that that's like if you really if you look at just the past year and a half or uh, yeah like year and a half with the lightweight belt and everyone was just sitting around wondering what connor is going to do because there's no communication all of these other guys didn't can continue to face each other and they're all sitting benched i just think that that's not a good look for company for them for anybody because say dc doesn't come back and defend that belt well then you know, six months, a year from now, you're all of a sudden going to try and sell this fight with the two co- top contenders for that vacant title. But if none of them have fought in a while, only the, you know, hardcore fans are going to remember who they are and get excited about it. Uh, once again, I mean, I think we're just on the same frequency right now, pun intended, since we're on the radio. <laughs> but really... um Yeah, I mean, there's just nowhere to go. I think that the UFC has to just swallow the pill, which we're going to talk. They're doing it in the welterweight division, which we'll discuss in a minute. But you really just have to address it. Now, I will argue this, too. I get that the Rockhold thing with Gustafsson calling out Luke Rockhold after he got knocked out. I understand that rubs Daniel Cormier a little bit the wrong way. However, you know... Where are we going with this if there's not going to be a fight? So my question to you now, Kayla, before we move on, let's say he does defend it. Would you care to see him fight um, Smith, Corey Anderson, or Alir Latifi? Have DC fight one of those guys? Yeah, just to defend the title. If he's serious about he just wants to stay busy before Brock. Um, let me see. Uh... Because they're not big the first names, name, we're saying it like it is. The first name, the only name out of there that I think kind of stands out is Alir Latifi, but I still want to look at his record because to me, I'm just, from what I'm remembering, I think he's fought a couple more um, guys in, in the rankings, if I'm not um, incorrect here. But I think he's coming as off as- that knockout of OSP recently this year. Yeah, so, I mean, maybe him, but as far as the other two guys, I don't really think that they should get a title shot next, not over people like, um, you know, Gus or or other people that have been kind of sitting around waiting to see what DC does. I think that's pretty disrespectful. Um, And I know that we've already seen that fight, but I just think based off of Alex's last performance, I think he does deserve a title shot. But I don't like how long he's been sitting around either. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, look, at the end of the day, DC, if he's at the end of it, he is, he's gotten the short end of the stick. He fought John Jones and lost that dramatic one. John Jones is juicing. 
he feels like he's been the company man enough times. I get where he's coming from. So if he's serious that he's passing on Gus, then okay, Latifi stands out. I actually think Corey Anderson looked very dialed in. Less notice than Anthony Smith did, and he fought a very tough guy in Glover Tashira. I mean, that that fight could, but once again, knowing their pedigree, all three of those guys that were circulating, they would still feel like a mismatch at this stage against DC. Yes, anything can happen, but that that doesn't really get me going. And if I'm being honest, I feel like that's, and we discussed it, high risk, low reward if you're Daniel Cormier. Yeah, Even let's I've, say you knock yeah. him. Yeah, let's say he knocks out one of these guys in the first round in October. Like, we know that's a fight that's that's a date that still needs a main event on pay-per-view. You still run the risk, just like against Stipe. That was the first round knockout. Daniel Cormier broke a finger, and he's possibly out a few months. You don't know anything. what could happen, even if it's an easy fight. So, I feel like that's just, you're risking more money later on if DC can't fight Brock on the timetable you want. So I think that I know I appreciate DC being like Frankie Edgar saying he wants to just get out there. But I think that if we know what's going to happen later on already, it's probably in his best interest to just be honest and say he's only interested in Brock and that's just the end of it. But I just want him to say that. Do you have anything else on the 205 situation? I know it is a lot and it's complicated. Yeah, I mean, there's not really much to say. This communication needs to happen within that division so everyone can figure out what they want to do and how active they want to be as fighters. And these young guys are going to continue fighting often because they're seeing the opportunity to keep staying relevant and climb that ladder and have a good argument as to why they should fight for the vacant title or for whatever reason, fight DC in one of his last fights. No, of course. It's certainly going to be one to watch. Um, I will say this. I know the UFC is looking to book a main event for October. I feel like if we're going to hear some news about this, it's going to happen in the next month. Because otherwise, you know, I think there's just going to be too much unrest that it kind of comes to a head. So I'm expecting this to be sorted out within a month when you know more about DC's hand and more about what's going on with the other fighters when they can come back. Moving on to the welterweight division, this one arguably even more confusing than 205. The UFC has announced they are booking Tyron Woodley to defend his belt against Darren Till. And in the process, they will strip Colby Covington, the interim champion, of his belt. Now, the goal was to have Woodley fight Covington. Covington reportedly underwent nasal surgery earlier this week. And that's out of the timeline for the fight in September. Kayla, remember this. Tyron Woodley was saying he only wants to fight a big legacy-defining name like a George St. Pierre, like a Diaz brother, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. I want to point something out. The UFC, before they announced this fight, they have 11 champions. DC now, they usually have 12. DC now counts for two. Before last week, Kayla, eight of their champions were already booked or they are out with injury 
and they still have four pay-per-views they needed to schedule a main event for. Right now, they still have three. First question. Obviously, the UFC needs to book fights, like I said. But what do you feel about them just saying they're going to strip Covington after we just went through this recently of making him the interim champion? Um, I mean, I think this is when having an interim belt gets thrown back in your face is, oh, whoops, our interim belt holder is now injured. So someone has to face the champion. And we can't say that, okay, if you win the belt, like it didn't count. Like this is why I think interim belts are are pretty silly for the most part. Uh, I think that certain times they make sense. Recently, though, in the last two years, I would argue, they have honestly just become a way to help sell a Mm pay-per-view. Oh, we're going to have another belt on the line. It looks nice on the commercial, things like that. And to also, and to kind of give fighters um, a peace of mind if they're like, what the hell, the politics are going crazy. You said I'd be next for the title shot. And they're saying, hey, RDA, this is an interim title uh, title fight. This is an interim title fight. And just keep, you know, stringing them along. My I, I agree. <laughs> now, I'm going to be honest. I think that there was a lot of backroom negotiating last week when this happened with Covington. Because remember, Tyron Woodley went on the Helwani show, addressed it, said he didn't even know. Kayla, Tyron Woodley hasn't fought since July. And even then, he has made a ton of noise saying, I don't want Colby. I'm doing shoulder. I'm having a procedure on my shoulder. I want to move up and fight GSP. Let's make the fight between me and then champion Michael Bisping. He has made a lot of noise for a big fight. But we still, it is more than a year now that we've seen him inside the cage. I'm going to tell you this. I do think that the UFC, I don't know, Dana or whoever, but I do believe that the higher-ups probably had that discussion and said, Tyron, it's been a year. Enough is enough. We need this fight. We need this pay-per-view headlined. If you don't want this fight, we're taking away the belt. Enough is enough already. I get that he wants a fight. Covington is the bigger sell. But I think that at a certain point, like I said earlier, UFC needs to finally just book these fights and they don't have a lot of champions available. I do believe they said that I do believe it was a push come to shove. Also, I don't know if you saw UFC tonight this week when they had Tyron Woodley. Woodley, they asked him, how did this fight happen? And Tyron Woodley said it. Like you hear that tone, like when I've been ridden up at work and my coworkers ask me what happened. And it's like, well, they told me I got a XYZ and that's the end of it. That's what it looked like. Like Tyron Woodley was told, you're fighting Till and that's the end of story. Let me ask you, what do you think about that though? I mean, I don't know why Tyron Woodley is still getting all this crap about wanting a big fight. I think that when he was active last year before he had to get surgery, which it seems like he did step up and fight and put off a surgery that he needed, 
I think that he was active just as, as much as any other champion. And I think him asking for a big fight is because he saw how fans were responding to him as a champion. He hasn't been the most likable and people have called him boring. I think that you can put a lot of blame on Steven Thompson for why the fight is boring. Why is a champion going to risk losing his title because another guy can't pull the trigger just to make it an exciting fight. So I think that he isn't some, of course he wants a money fight and one that'll sell, but that's just being a smart businessman of selling yourself as a champion. But he also wants to challenge himself so he can continue his legacy of, wow, Tyron Woodley was one of the greatest champions facing the toughest competition. So I don't, I don't think that UFC or anybody should really be giving him crap of, getting the surgery or saying, oh, it's been a year. Well, guess what? A lot of these champions have been sitting around and kind of um, standing their ground, whether they want a contract uh, disputed of, of new terms or they have an injury they need to take care of, like a Nico Montano, Montano. Um, you know, you can look at collectively all the champions. They've been sitting around for different reasons. He's not this, like, outcast of champions in that case. I think as far as um, the Colby Covington, he might have been saying, oh, I don't want to fight Colby because, that one, that sells the fight more. And I think a lot of people don't know if they want to really embrace Colby's trash talking and antics. But as far as the Darren Till fight, I didn't see how he was acting on UFC on tonight, but he probably is like, kind of confused if he wasn't part of the discussion. Um, the one thing I didn't really think was a smart thing to say or I don't know if it's just the media you know kind of strewing it this way but I read this morning that he's saying he wants to fight Darren Till at UFC 228 even if he doesn't make weight but then to me that's not a title fight then so that was confusing but I think either way this is unfortunate this happened with Colby Covington because we finally were booking the champ with a fight that was going to sell, that was also going to be a very competitive fight. I think Colby deserves the title shot after his last performance. I think Darren Till was like one fight away personally for me, away from the title shot. So I'm really not mad that he's getting it because of the circumstances. And I think it is going to be a fight that sells. He has a really big fan base. So uh, two things on that one. For me, the personal disconnect with Tyron Woodley was, and I agree with you for a while, yes, push for that big fight. You've beaten the other guys. That was before we finally had all these welterweight contenders finally fight. Right. On the other hand, it, you know, it just at a certain point, you realized the GSP fight isn't going to happen. The DS fight's we're not going to happen. But he's but not I talking think... about those anymore, G. Like you said, he was waiting for everyone else. Everyone else needed to fight each other to really figure out who the true champ is. I or just not feel like... what the top contender is. I, I think that he held out a little longer than he needed to. I, I'll say it like this. I think he could have come back a little sooner to fight someone like RDA. He just wanted to pump up a bigger fight, and that's why we ended up waiting through June and all those welterweight fights. That one, I, I get it because he's been up there a long time, but I also understand that you feel like he's been on the side. I, it, was, it just went a little longer than was comfortable, I think is what I'm getting at. I think that's just how I feel about it. In terms of everything else, I mean, 
things happen. I once again, like you said, with the interim belt, I think it just shows that the placeholder doesn't mean quite as much in terms of the big business of the UFC. But a lot of the smarter fighters, I was listening to Eddie Alvarez this morning. They are, if you've been in this thing, you know how this works. And at the end of the day, it's about business and keeping that machine going, keeping that car running. So that's just unfortunate. I will say, I just hope we get that fight later this year or early next year, because it is one I'm still anticipating. And I'm sure Colby is going to have a lot to say in September when they fight. Um, Kayla, in terms of the Darren Till, um, I think that it is a very fun matchup. I am a little worried because of the weight thing, like you said, but I understand they need the healthiest, most available guy, most highly ranked guy there, and Darren Till just kind of fits the bill, so I really do like this fight. I'm interested to see how does Tyron deal with a guy that much bigger and taller. You could argue that Darren Till should not be fighting at 170. He really should be at 185. So I think that how he deals with a fighter of his size is going to be the key because Tyron Woodley already is a little shorter and stockier. And you have a guy in Darren Till who tends to fight very loose. So what approach does Tyron choose to take when with this one? I think that's going to be the biggest key. Um, look, it's just going to be a lot of fun. I really do like this fight, despite all the circumstances leading up to it. Yeah, I do too, and I think that we're eventually going to see it. I think, like you said, we'll still see that fight with Colby, whether it be that they fight for, you know, the next shot at Darren Till if he wins, or, um, you know, whether he's just the next one to get that title shot against Tyron. But I think that all of the welterweights, or the top five at least, needed to fight each other out just so we can kind of see where everyone's at. And I, I'm, I'm not as mad of, of how this one is played out as, um, as I am about the lightweight. I think the lightweight's a little bit more of a circus. Lightweight or light heavyweight? Because they both are. I mean, they both are, <laughs> but I think the lightweight division's a little bit more of a circus, personally. Well, I mean, they do have the biggest class clown in MMA. <laughs> Kayla, did you know it's Friday today? I did. I'm excited for the weekend. I am happy. I'm happier than Conor McGregor in court yesterday. He had a good day. He did. So that well, means well, you're having an even better day. I mean, I mean, I didn't get out of jail, but I, I feel pretty good. I might like go, you know, grab a smoothie or something to celebrate. We'll, we'll mention that at the end of MMA News, but moving on to other headlines, Anderson Silva resolves his USADA case. Silva, similar to Junior Dos Santos, Little Noguera, and other fighters, um, was able to prove to USADA that he was given a tainted supplement because it was still in his system. USADA chose to still give him a bit of a suspension retroactively. And I want to say that's probably taken into account his test in either 2015 or 2016, where he fought Nick Diaz and tested positive. So I think that's why they didn't just let him return immediately to action. Mm. But it is not going to keep him out of the cage longer. He is eligible to return in November. Silva, 43 years old, says he still intends to resume his career later this year. 
Kayla, let me toss it to you. What do you think about the news? Yeah, well, I mean, I know when we were texting, you know, separately outside of the show, we were wondering why he was still punished in a way, or like you said, just given some time before he could return. So that makes more sense. Um, you know, it's it's good. I think that if he wants to continue fighting, um, you know, let the man let the man continue to fight. I don't think that he looked the worst out of all the veterans that want to stay in there and, and um, you know, face these young guys. So if he feels like he still has a couple fights left in him, then then go right ahead as long as he's doing it fairly. And I personally didn't want to see him retire that way. So that just makes me happy that we're not going to have Anderson Silva retire as a cheater. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's accomplished a lot. I think that this just news vindicates a lot of the criticism he's received in the last year since it came out. Um, You know, uh, I'll be honest, P- and people who don't know this, I love Anderson Silva. He is probably number one on my top five guys all time, just for myself as a fan and how I got introduced to MMA and really talking about it. I got a lot of love for the spider. If I'm being honest, though, I think about the fights with Derek Brunson. I look at that middleweight division with guys like Whitaker and Gastelum. Now you got Paulo Costa and Israel Adesanya that I don't know how I feel about him jumping into those kinds of fights. Not saying that those are like that's his lineup, but, you know, it's Anderson Silva. You want him, you know, kind of given a respectable run to close it out. But Kayla, I checked the news today and Henzo Gracie is out there just choking guys out at 51 years old. I think that if you're going to give Anderson Silva the right matchups, I'm all for it. I'm ready to see it. I hope he at least acknowledges that this is this is it. This is the last few that you're going to see him out there. But if you're matching him up right, he stays clean. I'm ready to just enjoy the finale, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's true. I mean, yeah, I think you said it's just all about the right matchups and letting, you know, the – Anderson Silva, he's done so much for the sport, so I'm all about letting him kind of go out in the right way. Yeah, and so that should be good. Um, Do I see him coming back, like, right in November? I don't know about that. Um, They might just, with everything going on, with Madison Square Garden and the New Year's Eve, we might see him more like January, but I'm ready for it either way. Moving on, on Tuesday, we had, I would call it the feel-good story of the MMA world recently. Nick Newell getting a shot on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. Kayla, what I love most before we talk about the fight, I feel like every day I was seeing another big-name fighter or just someone in our MMA community talking about their support that give Nick Newell a shot at the big stage because he's paid his dues. And I really like that. I think that it showed a lot of respect for his game because I feel like in MMA, we know how to be harsh. And if we really felt like he was kidding himself, he wouldn't have gotten that much support. So I think that says a lot about how people feel about Nick Newell. I really feel like it didn't ever come from a place of pity. That's what I want to make clear. 
But he had his fight with Alex Munoz. I watched it. Nick fought good. Alex just fought better. He had, I think, like a 12-inch reach advantage, which really just hurt Nick when you were watching that fight. So I think that was a real major part of it. But, you know, it just wasn't meant to be Alex Munoz. It was his night. Now that we're on the other side of it, though, Kayla, what are your thoughts on the Nick Newell story? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is, it's inspiring just to see someone want to, you know, he's, he's an inspiring story. Obviously, he has, you know, something um, that most people would say is holding him back to pursue, you know, fighting at the top promotion against the top competition. But he's someone that wanted to prove those people wrong and prove it to himself. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think... I personally don't think that it would have hurt the UFC to sign him and see how on a worldwide basis, how the MMA community, how fans um, accept him. I think he's been fighting already around for a while. So I think that the hardcore fans already know about him. And like you said, are supportive of the idea of him fighting at the UFC. Um, But they gave him a chance. And unfortunately it wasn't his night. Like you said, it was a good fight, but he was just, um, you know, it wasn't his night. And, and Alex Munoz, like you said, had that, that pretty long reach and, and fought the fight um, better to get the win. But I don't know. I don't know what would be next for him. Maybe Bellator? Um, well, see, here's the thing is that if you're Nick, do they bring him back like late in Contender Series? Do they have him continue to fight in LFA, which a lot of fighters use now to springboard to UFC? Or maybe, maybe PFL. PFL is out there. Well, yeah, because technically it's his old bosses um, if he were to go back there because they, they were WSOF before. I don't know. I um, Nick Newell, remember that he retired like about a year and a half ago, two years ago, well, or he came back and his whole thing was like, because I feel like I can really make a run toward the UFC. So I feel like just getting onto that stage and being acknowledged on that level is kind of the reason why he's in it. Does he need that? I mean, you could argue no. I think that it would just be, you know, it's just one of those goals. I think he knows that he could fight a lot of places and he'd be paid well and could fight some good guys. I think that he wants to be able to say, I got to UFC, which is regarded as this, and I had my shot at that, and it is what it was. So, I feel like I don't that's. Think he should be P. I don't think he should be UFC or bust. I think that now there's other promotions that yeah, but I get that. If you've been fighting for a while, the UFC is why you probably started. You saw some fights and thought, "I'm going to fight on that," you know, platform one day. So I get that, but there are other opportunities. I, I what I guess I kind of want to know is. What is he fighting for? Is it to inspire people? Is it because he wants to get a nice payday? Or is it because there's just something about that UFC name that he, you know, wants to have that walkout on their platform? Because if it is just about the money or if it's about making, you know, getting a nice paycheck, there's opportunities elsewhere. If it's about inspiring people, there's other platforms, other promotions that are starting to build themselves and and get a you know, bigger fan base and get on more platforms to where he can reach a bigger audience. Oh, you need to know why he's fighting. I I feel like, 
I mean, don't quote me. I want to say that when he originally announced his return, it was because he had that UFC or bust mentality. And um, look, he could go to Bellator. He would immediately, you know, get a great reception. PFL, great reception. He could go overseas, one FC, other places, great reception. Um, it's about what it, what what really motivates him. Is it just being able to prove that after they've kind of turned him away to get to UFC? I think only Nick can answer that, but he, he isn't without options. I agree with you on that. I think once again, it's just about what does he, what motivates him, what pushes him at this stage. But yeah, um, let me ask you, he lost, that doesn't take away from his other 12, 13 victories, I want to say he has. Does it reiterate any point that he doesn't deserve to be in UFC on his skills? On his skills, no. I think they've given other people opportunities to get a shot and get, you know, a couple fight contract. So I don't think so. That's what I felt also. Um, look, Alex Munoz was a tough guy and he fought a good fight. Um, so I think, um, I don't think you could really discredit it, you know, when a guy loses like that against an opponent who is doing what he was able to do. So I agree with you. And I think that was really one of those final points is that the loss doesn't make me feel like, oh, well, he clearly wasn't ready for this level. I think he just lost a good fight against a good guy. That's it. So, but it was the biggest, it's going to go down as the biggest episode of this season, a contender series. Obviously, the show's introduced a lot of fighters like Sean O'Malley and others. So I think that it was a great showcase at the end of the day for both men, you know, regardless of what happens next. So I was good with it. I also want to shout them out real quick. Smash Global, the promotion I report for. We had one of our veterans, young kid, Kanan Kawaihai, who fought earlier that evening. Kanan did come up short, but Kanan, just respect to you, man. You know, it was there's a great young kid with a bright future. I just want to give him his due on our show because he really just his team was great to work with, fought his butt off, was lighting him up in the first round. But once again, it was just one of those not meant to be. It was the other guy's night. So there's a lot going on on Tuesday night. Kayla, before we talk about UFC Calgary, let's get it out of the way. Conor McGregor showed up in court for about five minutes again yesterday. He took the plea, so they said that he's got to pay restitution for the damages to the bus. And I think they said only three days of community service. Kayla, none of this surprises me. I feel like the writing has been on that wall in bold and underline and highlight that he was going to plead guilty and take a deal. I think the only thing we were waiting on was what what is the price they're going to put on the ticket they write him. I feel that's the only thing we were waiting on. Why was it important? He doesn't want to laugh or just send the wrong message by announcing fights or anything because then the court might be tempted to give him even more. So I think that's why they were like, we're not doing any fights, no deals or nothing until this is done. Kayla, it's done. McGregor is a free man. He's not serving any jail time. And now everybody's saying, are we going to get the... Khabib announcement soon what do you have to add to the story I think that the judge 
was an MMA fan or is an MMA fan. And I think that we're going to hear the announcement of Khabib versus Connor very soon. I was going to say, they didn't announce it on Twitter and I've missed it, have they? Um, not that I've seen. Okay, just your tone. It was like, gee, have you checked Twitter? They just announced it. You got on the... <laughs> I was about to say, like, Kayla, I'll you need to stop. Just because you have a, an, a feeling. So it's like, don't do that to me. You need to stop me when these things are happening. <laughs> but, um, yeah, look, uh, we, we, it's the Super Bowl when Connor shows up. People who can't tell you what UFC stands for when Conor McGregor is fighting, will want to talk to me about it. It really is just, um, look, he's that name. So the fact that we possibly, I mean, it's exciting. I think it reinvigorates all of us who are part of the MMA world, not just fans, but just if your job is associated with it. So, look, it's a nice change of pace. I just hope they get it done. Do you have anything else? Nope, nothing else to add. Kayla Beatty, just so cool. I feel like I can never surprise her. Well, it's not announced <laughs> yet. I'm not going to get excited about anything that's not announced yet. All right, that's a good point. Anything could happen. Um, look, Kayla, I'm excited more than Connor is because tomorrow we have a huge stack card. Kayla, just the UFC Calgary triple header at the top of the card, just three fun fights, and it all... It culminates. Eddie Alvarez versus Dustin Poirier. Kayla, there's so many storylines. I was watching the first fight earlier this morning. It was so much fun. Just the way that one ended by no contest. The fact that Poirier has turned the corner and is on ready for a title shot. Eddie Alvarez wants some redemption and everything. To you, what's the storyline that stands out going into this fight? Yeah, I rewatched it yesterday, and I forgot how exciting it was. I think, I mean, if you, you just need to watch the first fight, and you'll get excited and pumped for tomorrow, because both guys had each other rocked, um, and in the way that it ended, we were just all left with a big question mark. You know, we need to see this fight played back. I think both guys are going to come into this fight even more gritty and tough after both preparing for a fight with the Justin Gaethje I think both guys, um, you know, took a little something from that fight. I like where they're both at mentally, too. I believe that when they first met, that was Eddie Alvarez's first fight since losing the belt to Connor. So I would think that he was bringing a little bit of not wanting to get knocked out, you know, a, another again, right after losing your belt. Now he doesn't have that looming over him. I think that both men see the opportunity, even though they, they heard the news of Connor's plea bargain, I think they both see the opportunity for an argument for a title shot if they make this fight exciting. And I, too, like you were saying earlier, like how just, I guess, you know, they're, they're not in denial. They, they're realists. They see how the game works. They know that Connor's most likely going to get that shot with K could be but they need they know they need to make this fight exciting to stay relevant Dustin Poirier is coming off of two I believe fight of the nights his last two performances so 
he wants to keep that momentum going. And I think that we're really going to see a competitive fight. And I think that both guys are just so tough. So I, I don't know. I, I think that it's one that could definitely go all, all of the rounds and just be a barn burner. I mean, to me, um, both men feel like they, they just feel like that spot as the next guy in line just belongs to them. I love that. They just kind of almost like, um, I feel like they both feel disrespected that people are talking about the other as being that guy who should be next. I love the fact that they have some history there. Dustin Poirier says he feels that Eddie Alvarez was just dirty in the way that last fight ended. And the fact that he didn't get a rematch afterward, the way it ended and the way Eddie was talking. Eddie is trying to say like he's just indifferent about Poirier and that he's just ready to go out there and kill him. Poirier, and I said this about Gaethje, um, he turned the corner because so often it felt like those fights were the ones where Dustin Poirier just seemed to always come up short and he'd just be kept from getting to that next level. He exercised those demons and now he really kind of gets that big, you know, like that big monster at the end of the story in Eddie Alvarez, who I got to say, Kayla, I feel like that fight with Justin Gaethje was the best Eddie Alvarez we've ever seen, better than we ever saw him in Bellator, better than we saw him against RDA. This is a very exciting fight. It could end early. I'm hoping we get a five-round classic, though. Who do you have winning this one? Because it could be fight of the year. Yeah, I think that both guys are going to really fight for that to be fight of the year, but I think they're also going to fight smart because I don't think they're underestimating each other. I see it going into championship rounds, um, but I think that Dustin Poirier, I really like what he's saying about learning from that first fight of being more patient in there when he sees that opportunity to finish. And I think that he's just going to be able to figure out a rhythm of, outstrike you know just just I guess being the higher level striker um picking the better shots but I think it's going to be a really tough fight for him so I'm thinking a stoppage by Dustin Poirier in round four about round four yeah the thing that stood out to me and they've kind of just gotten a little better Eddie Alvarez didn't have the best kicks he tried to mix up body body punches to the head just mixing up his strikes. He looked great executing it against just Justin Gaethje. When he did that, tried to do it against Dustin Poirier, Dustin was really just on fire in reading Eddie, getting out of the way, and then getting in and out with his own strikes. Like we saw in his fight with Justin Gaethje, Dustin generates a lot of power even when he's just getting in and out with a few short punches. I think that's going to be the key. I think that he is a little bit sharper, a little more technical in getting in and out. And I think he knows he just has to avoid staying stationary in front of Eddie Alvarez and that he's going to be able to wear him down just like he did Gaethje, just like he did to a lot of people. Both men are tough. Both men can take a lot of punishment. I agree with you, though. It's going to be Dustin Poirier around the fourth. He's going to have to be on fire, though, because Eddie Alvarez is going to come in there hot with a point to prove. I think it's just on Dustin staying calm, especially if it turns into a battle. 
but I think that's how it's going to play out. It's going to be good. Oh, I'm ready for it. I want it to be right now. Moving on. One day away. (laughs) Oh, and everybody's on weight. So I I hate that I feel like I have to mention that, but it is important. Everybody's good. There's no drama there for once. I like it. Moving on to the co-main event. This one, don't sleep on it. Featherweight action, Jose Aldo against Jeremy Little Heathen Stevens. Kayla, Jose Aldo. This might be the most vulnerable he's ever been in his career. I thought he was that after losing to Connor, but you really are questioning what's really does Aldo have that fire? Does he still have that guy who was destroying the featherweight division? Jeremy Stevens has never been more confident. I've talked to people on Jeremy's team who say he his mood just how he is is better than they've ever seen it. And both of them really could just go out there and just top away at each other with big shots. How do you see this one going down? Yeah, I love where I love how Jeremy Stevens has evolved um, and, and just where he's at right now. So I, that that's, excites me even more just hearing that you heard from his team recently about him. I think it's going to be a really telling fight because I think we're also, on top of what you're saying, I think that we're also just going to see where Jose Aldo's head is at of, of if he wants to continue, you know, an MMA career. I think that with the unfortunate recent news with Max Holloway, we could see that maybe he, you know, has another run in him because he sees an opportunity to face other guys and, and get another title shot after losing twice to Max. But I, I just want to, I want to see if he's going in there and really taking Jeremy Stevens seriously and taking this fight seriously. Cause I think that that's really what we have to, to see is has he continued to try to keep his skill set fresh or is he kind of checking out and just, you know, finding a couple top guys just to figure stuff out because I know he's shown interest in boxing and has other, other things on his mind. He's still so young at 31. So I, that's what I'm really looking forward to in this fight is seeing where his head's at. Um, but it's Jose Aldo. I mean, you know, former champ, reigning champ for so long. He's just so talented. I really don't think he's sleeping on Jeremy Stevens. I would hope that he and his team have seen how Jeremy Stevens has himself thrown in some of those dangerous leg kicks. And, yeah, I think, like you said, this is another one I could really see being pretty brutal um, because – I think that with what's going on with the current state of the champion, these guys want to stay relevant in case there's an opportunity for a title shot soon. I think Jeremy Stevens knows that he's being thrown around because when something fell out with Max Holloway, he was a name thrown in there to maybe be a quick replacement against Brian Ortega. So he has all that momentum going into this fight. Um, Yeah, I just see it being very bloody. I think that's a great way to put it. I don't think I've ever heard you say it, but yes, it's going to be bloody. I don't see any other outcome. Um, The thing that stands out to me is Jose Aldo's mindset. Does I, I just get the impression that he feels jaded with the fight game. He feels like people don't respect him anymore. They feel like Conor McGregor kind of 
took away not just his mystique, but almost like they hurt his legacy because you feel like Connor, because he's such a big star that if he was around, he could have dominated instead of Aldo. I don't think that's true, but I feel like Jose Aldo has gotten that impression and he's just so frustrated that he's talking about boxing and all of this. The thing about it is Jose Aldo, like you said, so talented. He's got so many weapons and tricks in the bag. But even with Jeremy Stevens, you could be fighting him well for 14 minutes and he still has that capability to take you out of there fast. And he could do it. He's dangerous every second of the fight. He knows how to conserve his energy now. Just to, just have that shot ready at all times. It's a very dangerous fight. Um, I, I agree with you. If you're Jeremy Stevens, you know that a win over Aldo, even if Max Holloway comes back, you know you're next in line. After Max and Brian were to fight, you're next in line. If Max couldn't come back, Jeremy and Brian Ortega is an easy fight to make. Now, obviously, Aldo, you're not about to get a third fight with Max immediately, but Mac, Aldo versus Brian Ortega, another fun fight. They are aware that this could be happening. So I think that if you're Aldo, do you get reinvigorated by that? Do you feel like, you know, suddenly you're a little hungrier, you're a little more concentrated? Do you have some more of that killer instinct knowing that you could get it all back possibly? That's going to be the key. But Kayla, I'm going to just say it. I feel like Jeremy Stevens has been getting Jose Aldo. He's getting him at the right time. And I think that he is going to just have the skills to chop away at Aldo's mobility. And he's going to be able to catch him with that big shot that does the damage. I don't. It's tough because I love Aldo, but I'm going with Jeremy Stevens to get the job done. I think it could go to decision, but I'm picking Stevens. Yeah, I just, I'm such a believer in Stevens right now. And I think that he might be grinding a little bit harder to just be so present and, and, you know, really crisp with his skill set. And I think that like you're saying, I, I don't think it'll be an easy fight for him again, but I do think that he'll find that opportunity to put um, Jose Aldo away, but I think it'll probably be in the later second or third Got it. And also, that's a big thing. Jose Aldo, 15 minutes to work instead of 25, like he's had for quite a while. You know, he's been a slow starter at times. So I don't know if stylistically he could get himself going, you know, against a guy like Jeremy. And I think that that's what we'll see is, you know, was he sleeping on Jeremy that way of knowing like, hey, this guy's going to come in and try to put me away. So he's ensured, you know, that next title shot. There we go. I mean, okay, so we're on the same page. Number three, Kayla, drum roll, please. Joanna Jacek against... <laughs> Joanna Jacek against Keisha Torres. Um, big one in the strawweight division. I like this fight because I feel like it's still one of those fights I would have wanted to see anyway in the strawweight division, even if it's not for the belt. Joanna wants to prove that she is still a very dominant force. Tisha Torres wants to get herself back into the title picture. This is a critical one. They know that there is still, you know, there's quite a lot on the line for both of them moving forward. 
I've said that it's different. I think that unless Rose loses the belt, this is more for Joanna to just kind of carry a little more weight as she makes the move to flyweight when the Nico Valentina fight plays out. I think that she wants to just have another feather in her cap of beating these top five straw weights and what she was able to accomplish in that weight class. But for Tisha Torres, she knows that she wants to eventually set up a rubber match with Rose Namajunas. She knows that a win would make her the next girl in line after Jessica Andrade and Karolina Kovalkiewicz later this year. So there's a lot riding for both of them. And really two very skilled, very great athletes and mixed martial artists. Who do you have taken it? Yeah, well, there's just so much going on here. And boys, maybe take a note from the ladies of how to keep a division fresh and exciting. Um, I just think that, yeah. Kayla with the fire. I'm sure there's a lot going on. But I think that, like you said, it might be that Joanna needs uh, to get a win just so she can personally move up and feel good about it. She might not want to leave that division on a losing streak after losing her title, even though it was to now champ Rose Namajunas. Um, and it's also really if she's playing, um, you know, good employee and, 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 you know, doing well right and right with the UFC, she she kind of should, you know, as a former champion, maybe try to face in being the number one straw weight right now face these up-and-coming girls that are trying to build their way throughout the rankings. Don't just sit there in that spot, in that number one spot, waiting, you know, for this uh, division to open up and, and get a title shot there. So I respect that she's facing Tisha Torres. I think that, like you said, it's just, um, of course, I think Tisha Torres' biggest fight because this is really going to show us where she's at too, how she's evolved. I think that, yes, she's looked great in her last two fights. I think I totally see why people are hyping her up, but I think that in her last two fights, there were also moments where we saw where she still has some skills that she's got to work on. And I'm really happy that they didn't just push her straight to a title shot right away. I think she needs, you know, these couple of fights to build her way up there. And Yoana is the ultimate test. She's also facing Yoana where Yoana is not this, scary threat anymore she can be beat so i even saw that in the headlines today that she's saying in the face-off she's not that scary well that's easier said now that rose has kind of shown her that she can be beat but i think that um yeah this is just the ultimate test for tisha i do again see it being a very competitive fight a very um active fast uh you know high striking amount of of fight the ladies are both really good on their feet I think that Tisha has learned from her past two experiences oh one thing I wanted to mention too G you know I feel like I a lot of people are on the Tisha Torres hype train and I think that you have even said like hey how come you're hating on Tisha a little bit I just think that you know in her past two fights she wasn't able to put those girls away Joanna was able to really clean out her division for a while. I think that I need to see Tisha beat Joanna to really be a full believer. So that's why I'm so excited about this fight. But yeah, I think it's going to be super competitive. I feel like my prediction for it is that we will see 
I think the Tisha can win it if she actually t- gets her to the ground. And I think she can um, be stronger in the ground and pound there. <sighs> or at least just show, you know, take Ioana to the ground and, and, and test out her skills on the ground more. Even though I think both girls are, you know, definitely have the skill sets on the feet, I just think that Ioana still is the um, more accurate and maybe even more high-volume striker. She, you know, I mean, there's a reason why she was a champ for so long. So I, I'm, I'm really just interested in seeing how Tisha approaches Joanna, but I, my gut is telling me that Joanna is going to win this fight, but I'm thinking by decision. All right. Um, Sorry, that was such a mouthful. <laughs> no, I, I, I like it because that tells me you're really torn about it, which I think you have a, you, it's very, you know, warranted with these two high-level women um the thing about it is that yeah, I, i've said it i wasn't a fan of how joanna was talking about you know I, I think that she was a little too vocal after the loss to rose and i think that when you watch that fight rose just got the job done and you got to live with the fact that you fought a great fight it was just the other person was better um, Joanna, though, she just has this, I, I think she plays the mind game very well. She knows what she wants to say, and she's unapologetic about trying to, you know, glare at you a little bit. And, you know, I think that's kind of what gives her a bit of fire. I think that that's a really big part of the game. With Tisha Torres, the thing about Tisha that I really get excited about is that, you know, she's one of the shortest women in the division, but she just brings it with a high volume, a high paced attack. That's what makes her so dangerous. That's what made her a threat to Rose. That's what gotten her wins against veterans like Michelle Watterson. The thing that I think holds Tisha back, and it's not her fault, is that she, because she is shorter, she has to be so accurate when she's getting in and out. She has to be so precise with her counters. She has to be so relentless with her takedowns because quite frankly, and we've seen it, you're Jessica Andrade, Rose. Um, these bigger women just quite frankly carry more firepower. And I think you saw it against Jessica Andrade. Tisha was fighting great. Jessica had the, has the same end and it's just inside a bigger car, so to speak. So. I think that really is why Tisha struggles against these elite fighters. I don't think that's to say that she isn't high level herself. So that's why I'm always big on Tisha Torres, because I do think she has a lot of weapons and capabilities. It's just about the firepower. Now, stylistically, I think this is all Joanna. I think that she just has the perfect skill set to keep Tisha at a distance. She's got that long range, speed. Most importantly, she, do, she rarely stands still for a counter. Rose is arguably about right there, same height and reach. Tisha isn't going to be able to counter her from the same range as Rose was. That's key. I think that it's going to be easier for Joanna to get in and out. And we know that once she gets going, she tends to run away with it very quickly. I think that's going to be the key. She also has great takedown defense. I'm taking Joanna by unanimous decision on this one. 
Yeah, I think that she knows, too, to start striking early. And she doesn't, you know, she's not a slow starter. She knows that Tisha comes in with that high amount of striking as well. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to see. Again, I just really want to see how Tisha goes in to try and tackle Ioana. Um, But, yeah, the whole those three fights alone on top of the whole card are going to make it exciting. I got to say, I would argue this is one of the best stacked cards on Fox that they've ever put on. I mean, I think, I, so. think that, I, I think that really the only one, um, I know people were very hyped. Which one was it? Last year, it was the one where they had Whitaker and Jacare and I think um, Michelle Watterson versus Rose. I think that might be the only one that people got more excited. This one you should be hyped up for. I think that it's worth staying in on a Saturday night for a while. It's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm ready. I think we're going to have a very fun show to discuss next week. And Kayla, of course, we're going to be there. UFC 227 next week. Two title fights, the rematch, TJ Dillashaw versus Cody Garbrandt and Demetrius Johnson versus Henry Cejudo. Kayla, I'm excited. I'm just really, like, you're my favorite person to watch fights with, so we're going to have a ton of fun. It's going to be a great experience. So it's going to be a lot of fun just to talk about. And, of course, we recap UFC Calgary. Miss Fangirl MMA, where can the fans find you? Because I know you're going to be posting quite a lot in the next few days. You've had a lot going on. Yes, uh, you can find – well, unfortunately, I'll have to – catch up on these exciting fights that we just discussed for almost our for an hour um on sunday because i'll be covering the boxing event that's going down in la at the staples center i get to go there two weekends in a row mikey garcia versus robert easter jr um so you guys Love can see fight. my coverage for that yeah it's actually a very exciting um boxing fight night and kind of connected to the MMA world too. There's been a couple fighters that I've spoke to this week that have definitely shown interest in MMA. And then Dana White, you know, has hinted around that he wants to start a Zephyr promotions for boxing and he has his eye on a few of the fighters here. So, or yeah, the boxing guys here. So um, yeah, definitely one to tune in. If you also are a fan of boxing, you can find my coverage there at sharedog.com, my new employer. But you can also find my opinions because I'll be checking my phone and checking Twitter for the UFC results at fangirl underscore MMA. And, of course, we'll be recapping it next week, G, and talking about all of the exciting conclusions to these fights. Of course. All right, guys. You can also find me at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double, and we'll be back on the air next week. Have a great weekend.